with me in paradise. As we approach this text this morning, I want to come back to that word that Colton was using, exposed. As we look at the cross, at one level we see Jesus exposed. Here he is, physically vulnerable, hanging, unclothed on a cross, humiliated for all to see. But as we look at the cross, we also see ourselves exposed. We see our sin exposed. We see exposed what we deserve. But we see something else exposed at the cross. We see the majesty and the beauty and the humility and the mercy of Jesus. We see in this passage that Jesus is exposed for who he really is, the Christ, the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. So my burden this morning as we walk through this text is that we would behold Christ for who he is. That we would behold the glory that is before us. That we would be humbled by the humility of Jesus and that we would be astounded at the mercy that is on display at the cross. So we're going to see this passage unfold in three scenes. First, we see Jesus intercedes for transgressor, transgressors. Jesus intercedes for transgressors. Second, we see Jesus is silent when ignorantly mocked. Jesus is silent when ignorantly mocked. And then lastly, Jesus proclaims good news to the poor. So first of all, Jesus intercedes for transgressors. In verse, 30, uh, verse 32, Jesus is led away to be put to death along with two criminals, we're told. Jesus suffered a criminal's death. Even though he was innocent, he suffered as if he were guilty. And Jesus said that that would happen. If you would, flip back with me to Luke 22. In verse 37, Jesus said that this was going to happen because it was necessary in order to fulfill Scripture. So in verse 37 of Luke 22, Jesus is quoting Isaiah 53, verse 12, and he says this. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Um, sorry, that's verse 22. Let's look at verse 37. For I tell you, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. So Jesus says in this verse, in verse 37 of Luke 22, that the scripture must be fulfilled. This Isaiah 53 verse 12, that he would be numbered with the transgressors, must be fulfilled. He was going to the cross, receiving a criminal's punishment, even though he was innocent, in order to fulfill scripture. Scripture. 
And indeed, as he hung there on the cross, hanging between two actual criminals, just as Isaiah 53, 12 said, Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. He was receiving a criminal's death, but he himself had done nothing wrong. And this was a severe act of injustice on the part of those who put him on the cross, both the Jewish leaders and the Roman government. It was a severe act of injustice from a human standpoint. So then why did God the Father allow this to happen? It was unjust for the humans who did it, but what Isaiah 53, that same passage that Jesus was quoting from in Luke 22, that same passage says that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. How is that just for God the Father to do this? How is it that he is just Well, listen to that verse again that Jesus quoted, but listen to the whole thing. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Isaiah writes, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus, the innocent one, received a criminal's death, not because he deserved it, but because he was bearing the sins of many. He hung on that cross with no sin of his own, but he did not hang there sinless. He was being executed for the sins of Of his people. And as he hung there. Pouring out his soul to death. As Isaiah said. Numbered with the transgressors. As Isaiah said. And bearing the sins of many. As Isaiah said. Just as Isaiah also said. There on the cross. Jesus made intercession. For transgressors. Look at verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As Jesus is experiencing the greatest physical suffering imaginable, bloody, bruised, with air that he can barely take into his lungs, he intercedes for transgressors. If any of us were in the same position, being punished, even though we were innocent, our prayer would likely look very different. If we could muster up the strength to pray in that moment, we would be calling God to pour down his wrath upon these people who are putting us to death wrongly. So why doesn't Jesus do that? This is the greatest act of human injustice that's ever been Done. Why isn't Jesus calling down the wrath of God on these people who are putting him to death? Well, because in that moment, God was pouring out his wrath. But he was pouring it out on Jesus. And so Jesus was able to pray peacefully and justly, Father, forgive them. 
He was able to pray for the people crucifying him because in that moment, he was being crucified for them. And so just as Jesus taught his disciples to do in Luke 6 and 27 and 28, Jesus prayed for those who were abusing him. He interceded for transgressors. And what you need to know this morning is that Jesus is still interceding for transgressors. Today, he is interceding for you if you belong to him. Last week, we read this verse from Romans 8, 34, and I would invite you to listen to it again. Romans 8, 34 says this, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. When Jesus died, John tells us that he said, it is finished. Because in his death, Jesus fully accomplished everything that was necessary to satisfy God's demands and to destroy the power of sin and death. But when Jesus said, it is finished, that didn't mean that he was stopping his work for his people. What Paul emphasizes in Romans 8.34 is that not just in his death, but even more than that, he continued to work for his people. Even more than that, he rose again. And he didn't stop working for his people after he rose either. He is still, present tense, interceding for us. If we trust in Jesus, there has never been, nor will there ever be a time when Jesus is not advocating for us pleading his blood before the father so the accuser may come in with a full list of everything that we have done but because jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree he can say today still father forgive them and the father because he put his son to death can say forgiven so when you're weighed down with a burden of guilt, when you're tempted to believe that you can out God's grace, remember, Jesus is interceding for you. He is pleading his blood before the Father. When the accuser tells you over and over and over that you're dirty and guilty and irredeemable, preach the gospel to yourself. Remind your heart that Jesus is interceding for you. Here's how Charles Wesley put it in a classic hymn. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is is written on his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood atoned for every race. His blood atoned for every race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. 
five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. Because Jesus cried, Father, forgive them, we can cry, Abba, Father. Jesus is still interceding for transgressors. Second, we see in this scene, Jesus is silent when ignorantly mocked. As the story continues, Luke records a series of three times when Jesus is mocked. And with each one, we get closer and closer to the cross. First, the Jewish rulers scoff at Jesus. And then the soldiers mock Jesus. And finally, they are hanging on one of the crosses, one of the criminals rails at him. And throughout these mockings, we see just how accurate Jesus was when he said, they know not what they do. They did not understand what they were doing. These people were ignorant. They did not know. John Piper made a really important point about what Jesus is praying when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was not saying, Father, these people shouldn't be held accountable for their sins because they don't know what they're doing. No, that's not what he was saying. What Jesus was saying is, Father, forgive these people because they are guilty of not knowing what they're doing, and they should. Because they didn't know what they were doing, these people missed just how profoundly ironic all of their words and actions were. In Luke 24, uh, in verses 25 and 26, Jesus will say, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? What we see in this middle section of our passage is that these foolish, ignorant, unbelieving people totally missed that everything that they were doing was fulfilling the scriptures. As we read from Paul before in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. But these people didn't know what they were doing. As they crucified Jesus, little did they know that they were fulfilling Psalm twenty-two sixteen. They have pierced my hands and feet. As the soldiers cast lots for Jesus' garments, little did they know that they were fulfilling Psalm 22, 7 and 8. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. As the rulers scoffed at the idea of Jesus being the chosen one, little did they know that Jesus was the embodiment of Isaiah 42, 1. 
Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. As the soldiers offered Jesus sour wine, little did they know that they were fulfilling Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. These ignorant people mock Jesus, saying, If he is the Christ of God, and if he is the King of the Jews, and are you not the Christ? Yet even in their mocking, they were fulfilling scriptures about Jesus being the Christ. To quote Jesus again, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer and enter into his glory? They mocked Jesus over and over and over saying, let him save himself, save yourself and save yourself and us. But people, Jesus is not coming off the cross to save himself because he's on the cross to save you. But we must recognize that while Luke points out the irony of this mocking, Jesus responds very differently. Jesus doesn't point out how all of these ignorant people are actually fulfilling scripture. How does Jesus respond to all of this mocking? Silence. And in so doing, he was fulfilling Isaiah 53 and verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. If we're followers of Jesus, we need to remember that a servant is not greater than his master. And following Jesus, if we follow this Christ, this Savior who was humiliated, this Savior who was mocked, this Savior who did things that didn't make sense to those who were watching, following Jesus means doing things that the world does not understand. If this is the one we're following, we need to recognize that following Jesus means sometimes we'll be fulfilling Scripture, knowing that what we're doing is right, but what we are doing will look ridiculous and might even look morally wrong to those who are apart from Christ. Jesus said in Luke 6, 22, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. And notice that Jesus said when, not if. It's going to happen. If we are following this master, then we, his servants, should expect the same. So the question is, how are we going to respond? Will we, will we respond like Jesus? Because if we're honest, if you, were, you and I were in the position of Jesus, we would probably be tempted to say, oh yeah? Well, what about Isaiah 53? Well, what about Psalm 22? You ignorant fools. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus says. That's not how Jesus responds. Jesus opened not his mouth. He responded with humility. He was willing to do the right thing 
in fulfillment of Scripture and be wronged for it without defending himself. Because he didn't need their approval. He didn't need to prove anything. He was anticipating a greater reward. Consider again what Jesus said in Luke 6. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. When we are questioned or criticized for following Jesus, for aiming to fulfill Scripture, may we not pursue the temporary joy of being justified in the eyes of people. Instead, may we find joy in the fact that our reward is in heaven. And may we be content to be silent. Lastly, we see Jesus proclaims good news to the poor. Jesus proclaims good news to the poor. At the end of this passage, Luke draws our attention to Jesus, the innocent, and two criminals, one on his left and one on his right. And each of them have drastically different responses to Jesus. Um, As we've already seen, the first thief mocked Jesus. But in contrast, the second thief rebuked the first, saying, Do you not fear God? The second thief recognized The God was at work in this moment. You know, it's interesting to look and see that all three of these men were experiencing the judgment of God. The two thieves were receiving what they deserved. God's wrath through governing authorities. But Jesus was receiving the same punishment even though he had done nothing wrong. And the second thief recognized that. He realized that Jesus was innocent. But not only that, he also realized that he himself was guilty. That second thief understood he deserved death. And he also realized that he had a deep need. A need for mercy. He knew that everything in him deserved God's wrath. And that no part of him deserved God's favor. He saw himself as poor in spirit And so he pleads with Jesus in verse 42. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief didn't have everything figured out. He recognizes that he is guilty. He recognizes that Jesus is innocent. And he trusts that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised king. And so he asks Jesus if if he could be a part of his kingdom whenever that will be established. At this point, most Jews understood that the Messiah was going to establish his kingdom through great conquest and triumph, which is why the Jews were mocking Jesus. They saw his death as proof that he was in no way the Messiah who was promised. But this thief, he still believed he still believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, he probably didn't have any more clue than the Jewish leaders how Jesus was going to recover from crucifixion to establish a kingdom. 
But this thief had faith in Jesus. He believed that Jesus was still going to do it. And so even through excruciating pain, this thief spoke. He spoke words of faith. And he asked Jesus that whenever that day comes, that you go into your kingdom, would you remember me? Then Jesus responds in remarkable mercy. Uh, You know, back in Luke 4, Jesus said that he came to fulfill what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 61, which was, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And here in Luke 23, Jesus looks at this poor man and he proclaims good news. He looks at this captive and he proclaims liberty. He says in verse 43, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. When the thief asked Jesus to remember him, he likely had in mind some distant time in the future. But Jesus does something better than that. He says, today. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That word paradise isn't super common in scripture, but it's really significant. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says that he was taken up to paradise. In Revelation 2, Jesus promises that the one who conquers will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. And in the Greek Old Testament, that word paradise was often associated with the Garden of Eden. Both the one from the original creation and the future paradise that God will establish in the new heavens and the new earth. Paradise is where Jesus dwells. It's where he dwelt in the past. It's where he dwells today. And it's where he will dwell in the future. And it's where this thief was going to be with Jesus that very day. And as Jesus is promising paradise to this thief, what we have here is the promised offspring of the woman being bruised. But even as he is, he is crushing the head of the serpent. By being bruised on the tree of Calvary, Jesus has made a way for repentant thieves like you and me to eat of the tree of life and to be in paradise with him forever. Even as the people mocked Jesus for not being able to save, not only was he dying to save, in that moment, he saves the man next to him. So do you view yourself like this thief? Do you realize that you're guilty? Do you realize that you deserve judgment? The posture of the heart of this thief is the posture of saving faith. Consistently in scripture and especially in the gospel of Luke, Jesus taught that the attitude of faith The attitude of faith that leads to 
being justified is not look at what I have, look at who I am, look at what I've done and how much better I am than other people. No, the attitude of saving faith is God be merciful to me, a sinner. The person who inherits the kingdom must receive it like a child. The riches of paradise do not belong to the self-made man. The kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit. So is that the attitude of your heart? Do you realize that you're poor? If you do, Jesus came to proclaim good news to you. Do you realize that on your own, you are a captive to sin? If so, Jesus came to proclaim liberty to you, just as he did to this thief on the cross. Because Jesus died and bore the sin of many, if you trust in Jesus, you can have your sins forgiven. You can be set free from slavery to sin. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I know I'm guilty. I know I'm a sinner. And I know you are the innocent one who died in my place. Would you forgive me? Would you save me? So I could be with you in paradise one day. And what the Bible says is that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you admit your sin to Jesus, if you trust in his death in your place, in his death that absorbed the wrath of God that you deserve so you wouldn't have to experience it, if you trust in him, just like this thief, you don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to understand everything that's going on. But if you recognize, I am a sinner in need of mercy and Jesus is the king who came to save me. If you trust in him, you can be saved. And you can experience paradise forever with Jesus. If you have never trusted in Jesus, I would invite you to do so right now. You don't have to be in a church building. You don't have to have a pastor there with you. All you have to do is trust in Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved, Paul says in Romans 10. I would invite you to place your faith in Jesus. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, I would just ask, do you still view yourself this way? Do you still recognize your need for Jesus, your need for his mercy? Because if we do, we should be amazed at what Jesus has done here. And if we're not amazed, I, I know for me, if, if, if I'm not amazed by what I'm seeing here, it's because I'm probably too amazed by myself. And I need to remember, that just as we sang, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. I pray that this morning, as we've looked at the cross, that we have been exposed, that our sins have been exposed, that our need for Christ has been exposed. I pray, though, that our hearts have been encouraged by what Jesus accomplished.
I pray that our hearts would be encouraged by the promise that you will be with Jesus in paradise if you trust in him. I pray that our hearts are encouraged by the fact that even though we have sinned, even though we are guilty, even though we don't deserve anything from God, Jesus is interceding for transgressors right now before the throne. And I pray that those of us who have trusted in Jesus would joyfully and gladly and humbly endure the suffering that is sure to come to us because we're followers of Jesus. May we follow the example of our Savior and our Lord who forgave those who sinned against him and who was silent when he was mocked and reviled. Let's pray together as we think about this passage that we've just looked at. Father, the mercy that you put on display at the cross is astounding and I pray that we would be amazed by your mercy I pray that our sins have been exposed. Our need for a Savior has been exposed this morning. But Lord, we have also seen exposed and put on display the amazing nature of Jesus' sacrifice in our place, the amazing fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, the King who came to die for his people. Lord, I pray that none of us who are hearing this word would not trust in Jesus. Lord, I pray that every single person who has seen the glory of the cross today would place their faith in Jesus. Lord, that we would not be amazed with ourselves. Lord, that we would humble ourselves and that we would trust in Jesus, the one who is able to proclaim good news to those of us who are poor and to free us who are captive to sin. Lord, we love you and praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for this live stream worship service. As we continue in the coming weeks, we'll continue to be looking at Jesus, how he died according to the scriptures, how he was buried, and how he raised. So I pray that you will join us in the coming weeks as we continue our journey through the end of Luke's gospel. Thank you again for being with us and have a great day.